This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 46. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Josh Dorkin, host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Brandon Turner. Hey, Brandon. Hey, how's it going? Good, man. It's a it's a it's a big day, man. It's a big day. It's a big, it's a big day. That is, if you're listening to this podcast on the day it comes out, it's a big day. If not, you have no idea what we're talking about. That is true. Well, today is a once in a millennium uh occasion. The the combination of of Thanksgiving, one of my favorite days of the year, where we're the eats are plentiful and and uh, tasty, and Hanukkah, yet another wonderful period in in my life as as a uh, member of the tribe, as we like to call it. <laughs> I uh, I am not part of that tribe. I'm sorry. Yeah, we're all Jews. We're all, <laughs> you're a Jew at some point. I don't know. I'm I don't sure. Know. I'm sure. I'm yeah, but, tree. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so now things are good, man. Things are good, and and, uh, and we've got a really cool show ahead, um, and uh, and we'll get into that really quick. But before we do, uh, why don't we do this week's quick, quick tip. tip? Today's quick tip I'm going to take, and because this has been my uh, baby for the last couple of months, we finally came out with the buy and hold calculator that we've been talking about forever. So my quick tip is go check it out because. I honestly think it is awesome, and I don't say I don't say awesome very much. And this is oh, awesome. take a shot. It's awesome, <laughs> awesome shot, shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, really, it is really great. Uh, you can put in your property information. You can put in potential rent, income, uh, kind of figure out the next five, ten, twenty, thirty years of an investment property. So if you ever are considering uh, a buy and hold real estate investment, I definitely, definitely recommend you check this thing out. Run your potential property through the calculations and. See what it comes up with. See what your future looks like, and uh, yeah, check it out. It's it's like a it's like a crystal ball, isn't it? <laughs> Not quite. Estimations, you know. Oh, we don't guarantee anything. Like crystal balls guarantee everything, right? There you go. Good <laughs> clarification. Well, you can check it out at biggerpockets.com/calc along with our other calculators. So definitely uh, make sure to check that out. Cool. All right. Well, that's it. Let's let's you know jump into to the introduction here. We we've got a really cool show. Uh, with uh, with a really great guy, John Klaus. Uh, John is uh, is an investor. Uh, he's an entrepreneur uh, and investor in uh, the Austin area. Uh, he's started lots of uh, uh, businesses previous to his uh, his real estate business, but he's he's done it all. He really has, and and uh, we're going to explore a bunch of that. There's there's tons of great information for anybody and everybody, whether you're a newbie or uh, if you've been investing forever, uh, definitely pay close attention. Bust out a notepad and and, and be ready because uh, there's there's lots to to cover here. Uh, really, really quickly before I bring him in, uh, quick reminder to uh, uh, to write down any questions you have and post them in the show notes. Ask them uh, in the show notes after the show at biggerpockets.com/show46, and John will be sure to uh, to come in and answer your questions. Also, really quickly, uh, if you haven't already done so, uh, jump on uh, iTunes and please leave us a rating and review. Uh, we, we'd love to hear your feedback. The more ratings and reviews you guys leave, 
the the better the visibility we're going to get on iTunes and the more people are going to benefit from the show. So please uh, take a couple minutes to do that. We've got a link to that on the show notes as well. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rental since empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Cool. So without uh, further ado, let's bring him in. Hey, John, how's it going? Nice to have you here. It's great to be here, Josh. Awesome. Good, good. We're glad to have you. Let's, uh, let's jump into this thing. What, what do you do? What kind of investing are you into? I do several different types of investing. I'm I'm a buy and hold guy. I have a number of single family rentals. I've got a, an office building. I've got some land, and the main thing I'm doing now is new spec builds. Okay, okay. And I know uh, a couple of those things we haven't talked about a whole lot on the podcast. We haven't really talked about office buildings, and we haven't talked about spec building a whole lot. Just that one episode with a uh, Tucker Marahue, and uh, I think it was podcast 22 so anyway yeah. let's definitely we'll, definitely touch we'll, on that we'll today link, and we'll link to that in the notes we will the, uh, the show notes which which you can find at biggerpockets.com slash show 46 thank you yes all right oh and and by the way john happy thanksgiving thank you same to you guys as well thank happy you happy hanukkah <laughs> oh thanks for remembering john nice nice all right so it is, it is thanksgiving but officially this is like <laughs> This is like the one time in, in a millennia that, that Hanukkah and Thanksgiving fall on the same day. So to, to all my, uh, my fellow uh, members of the tribe, enjoy <laughs> your, your latka-laden turkey. I don't even know what you just said. Yeah, look it up, baby. I'll look, look it up. up. <laughs> yep, you're missing out. If you don't know, you're missing out, man. Uh, so. <laughs> all right, I'll believe that. Well, well John, how did you get into all this? I mean, how long have you been doing it and when did you get started? So I finished school and I moved to Texas and I got a job as a limo driver and nice. the, the owner of that company was, was super entrepreneurial. In fact, he was a, he was a successful stockbroker and he needed 
this was back in the days when if you had a business that had tax loss, that was good. It could offset your other, other gains that changed. But he, he started this business to, to lose money and he made a lot of money and, <laughs> and he built it into franchises. And I was just inspired entrepreneurially speaking. So I thought I got to have my own business. Nice. So I found a guy who was uh, selling his lawn care business and I worked with him for a summer and I uh, had a lawn care business for a few years. And so that wasn't real estate necessarily, but it was uh, entrepreneurial. And when you're, when you're out doing landscaping lawns, it gives you a lot of time to think. And I did think a lot about the future. And I also ran into another lawn guy in the East Dallas who told me he had 50 houses. I'm like, how can you have 50 houses? You're mowing lawns. <laughs> and you know, I, I think many of us know the story. He bought one. He bought another. He bought three. And over time, he had a serious portfolio all in the same area of houses. And I, I didn't really understand how he did it, but that never left my mind. And it was a couple of years later that I bought my first house, but he was probably the biggest single ins- inspiration. A guy like me, you know, sweating to earn a living, has 50 houses. Yeah, so. that, that's, you know, that's the beauty. And I, I think that's the thing that society as a whole fails to realize because, you know, I, I think real estate investors are kind of the up, ugly ch- stepchildren of, of uh, stockholders and, and, you know, the traditional uh, real estate investments as, as CNBC I'm, I'm likes like, to do them. Well, let's speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Wait, wait, hold on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, y- y- you know, it, it, it's exactly what you said. You know, that lawn guy, the, the guy who's, who's pushing a mower on your property had 50 houses. Who, who on earth would think that? Well, that's exactly what it is. Your neighbors have, you know, are, have properties, your, your friends. I mean, there's a lot of real estate investors that we don't realize are real estate investors. And, and, you know, I don't know, it's, it's kind of one of my personal peeves. I wish, I wish we got a little more respect in, in the uh, financial press because, yeah, there's far more investors in our area and our neighborhoods than than I think most people realize. I think that's true. I think that's increasing as you know over the last several years, home ownership has decreased. So that means there's more and more landlords out there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right on. So, so you. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Brendan. Okay, so you, your first house you said you you bought then. Can can you kind of walk us through that? Your first investment property. Yeah, um, and and I'll back up. I'll back up just a second to to the first property I bought. Period, which was the home I I moved into, and I carrying on the the lawn care thing. I saved my dollars. I saved up my three and a half percent FHA down payment, and I bought a house with actually with one million money. So okay. that that was my first one. Moved into that. lived lived in that for several years. Probably a couple of years after that, I bought my first investment property. And I'd read, I read a book from the library by a guy named Wade Cook, who is currently in, in federal penitentiary. Yep, yep. He was, he was a, <laughs> a, a guru back in the day, but along with his guruism, he had some good stuff. And he taught wraparound mortgages, which are, are very similar to subject to mortgages today. So I bought over, the, over a few years a few houses uh, wrap, via wrap, that is wrap a mortgage around the existing mortgage. John, hey John, can can you uh, just dig in a little bit more on sure. what that means? Yeah, so again, this this isn't done so much anymore. Laws change and mortgages mortgages change, but again, subject to is similar, and that is you find somebody with a mortgage that you can assume, 
you assume their mortgage, you buy the house, you take title to the house, and then you resell that house on another mortgage, an owner finance mortgage. So there are a number of reasons you can't do that today. Um, simil similar concepts today might be lease option or, or subject to. And I, and I, I don't really want to get into all the new regulations around it, but all that's become a lot more difficult to do now. So we're not, yeah. we're not doing it. Were you, were you not prepared to break down the laws for us? I mean, so uh, because we really, you know, we wanted you to be ready for this, John. Okay, so I do get a a Dodd Frank quiz now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's getting broken down fairly well in the forums under under a few different threads right now. There, there's some good good stuff being written. There are, and I, and I will link to those, that in the show notes too. There's a number of good good threads on it right now. That if people are wondering, you know, we'll yeah. we'll link to it. So. For sure, for sure. Well, can I ask on that FHA house really quick? Yeah, sure. So, you know, you said it's a three and a half percent FHA loan. What what does that mean? Can anyone get an FHA loan? How do how do people go about doing that? So, so the three and a half percent was the down payment, um, and anybody can get it who is going to be an owner occupant. So, if you're going to move into that house and live in that house for at least a year you can do that and have a very small payment, down payment. But you know, on conventional loans, down payments are coming down now too for owner occupants. So you can buy a conventional loan home for 5% down now, not much more. Well, you know what I love about that, what you just said, John, is that you, know, you, you worked a summer or whatever it was and saved up money from lawn care to buy that first property. And I think so many people want to like just jump into real estate right now and everyone's worried about how, how can I do it with no money? Uh, but I think that's cool. Like you, you don't have to have no money. You can just save up a little bit of money. Like, like you said, three and a half, five percent and make it happen. So just take some hard work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, you really can get going for a few thousand dollars. Now you're not, you're not going to start where everybody else is, uh, but it doesn't take much. If, if you're determined and focused and you have a little money, you can be a real estate, estate investor today. Although I don't recommend doing it today necessarily, get the knowledge, do your due diligence first. Because as a lot of, a lot of folks will say, rightly so, you make your money when you buy. So you have to be pretty educated to truly buy right. So you're, you're not saying like today, meaning right now, isn't necessarily a bad time for any kind of you know, financial or political reasons. You're just saying for somebody who might be new, uh, wait until you're ready to go. Yeah, I, okay. I, I, th I think that's right, yes. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. All right. And I was going to also say, there, there's a post I wrote like a couple weeks ago that I'll link to in the show notes called uh, How to Hack Your Housing and Get Paid to Live for Free. And it's kind of about that same philosophy of how to use a FHA loan to buy a, a house or a small uh, multifamily property. So anyway, if anybody's interested in that, it's on the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 46. So anyway, uh, let's let's move on, I guess. What happened after that first, you know, uh, you bought your own house and then you bought a rental property, an investment property. What, what was that like? So, yeah, I, I learned to be a landlord uh, by doing. There was no bigger pockets. There wasn't that much written about it that I could find. So I, I, learned, I learned by doing, and that means I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, probably the biggest single one uh, mistake I made was buying for price and numbers alone. I, I, looked, I looked at properties and said they sell for this and they rent for that. Those are great numbers, not considering location enough. So I bought in the wrong areas, including a war zone. And I know there's, there's um, various definitions thrown, thrown around about what a war zone is. And 
I'd, I just devi- define it by violent crime. If, if the violent crime is high, uh, you don't want to be there. I know there's a few investors who, who do, but it's just not worth it to me, no matter what the numbers look like. And they only look like that on paper with your vacancies and your repairs and your vandalism and your, your break-ins and such. Your, the reality isn't there. So that's an early mistake I made, buying in the wrong areas, but I really only did that one time. Okay, so you know, do you mind if we dig in a little bit uh, more on on the war zone thing? Because I I made the same mistake. You know, I I saw some properties, I saw some prices, and said, oh well, these prices are great. Um, bought the properties because the rents look great, but you know, I I really didn't take into consideration all those other things like the vandalism, the repair costs. Um, so what you know, what was your experience? So so I. It was a fairly new property. It was a townhouse, so I thought I'd be safe on the condition of the property. It was just over thirty thousand dollars, really cheap. My first rental on it was six fifty, so everything just seems fine. But my my, if I got good tenants in there, they did not stay just because it was too rough living down there. And and, and what I mean too rough is violent crime or the threat of violent crime. Yeah. And you know that's that's terrible quality of life for anybody to live scared and truly be at risk, I- including me when I went down there to do anything. Uh, so, you know, you talk about not feeling safe at night. Well, if you're not even feeling safe in the day and you're getting the death stare from from the gangsters on the corner, you probably should take that <laughs> message and move on. Yeah, yeah, and and I I had the same thing for for me. I I definitely underestimated repair costs, turnover. Um, you know, finding high quality tenants was really, really hard. And, you know, you're, you're more inclined to take lower quality ones because I mean, to get a great tenant is very, very difficult. Sure. And, and then, you know, the crime is, is just a headache, everything from dealing with, you know, you know, drug dealers and, and properties to folks you know, stealing condensers and and having to get cages. I mean, it's there's a lot of hassle that that comes with uh, those properties. Though, if you have the stomach to deal with it, I mean, they they could they could potentially uh, make you a lot of money, but it's it's not easy. I, I should also say I held that for like nine years, way, way too long, and I had zero appreciation. And if I had just bought in some other moderate neighborhood, I would have had at least fifty percent appreciation over that same time period. So that's something to consider in the hood too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, cool. Well, Hey, you mentioned also, you know, we talked about the, the, the ranch with the 7,000 square foot. Could you mind if we touch on that? Was that a part of your story at this point? Yeah. I've, I've always liked looking at deals on land uh, just because I love the land. So I would, I would look at MLS just constantly and the real estate magazines for just properties around, um, not necessarily looking to buy them, but possibly for my primary residence, but just because I was really interested in it. And I and I saw one. I saw a listing. This was a. I saw it on Realtor.com for an REO. It said 5,500 square feet foot house on 49 acres, and the price was 350. And I said that's just way wrong. I, I got to go check this out. So I did, and the agent was an agent for the bank. It was an REO. Had a story. And, and the story was, well, yeah, the bank is selling this house that was never really completed uh, on one acre, and it's completely landlocked uh, by this other acreage by the guy, the guy they foreclosed on. And they're not getting along really well. 
And since the house was never completed, there's no water meter. And the guy who owns the surrounding land is in no way going to let them have an easement to get a a water line across it. So the bank is stuck. And the guy, he doesn't really care that much one way or another uh, about about selling the land. But he's not going to let the bank win since the bank foreclosed on, on this home. And agent explained for the way the only way this is going to work is you're going to if you're going to buy the acres surrounding the house and the house. So I thought, okay, uh, I'll 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 really consider doing that, and the bank is going to be really motivated because this isn't going to be easy to make it work. So I went out to the city. It was actually in the country, but a, a city had extraterrestrial jurisdiction in this area. And I said, so what can I do with this property? Can I divide this property? Can I develop this property? And I got a good education from them. And I learned that it only had 20 feet of road frontage. So that wasn't wide enough to put a road back on it. Yep. So what I did is I talked to the property owners on either side, a landowner on the north and a landowner on the south. And I tried to buy just a strip to get at least 60 feet wide. Yeah. And the landowner on the south, uh, she sold me 40, a 40-foot strip off of her property, and it turned out I, – I didn't know it going into this. turned out that she went to my church, so she, she was someone I knew. Awesome. So I, I put this offer together to the bank, to the landowner, to the lady who had j- just this little strip, and ac- actually that was a little after the fact, that piece, and the deal worked. And I got the bank to take a big, a big discount because they just wanted out of the property. So I think I got all for like two eighty. Wow, and it, nice. And it turned out the the listing said fifty five hundred. When I measured it, I got seven thousand. I said to the agent, "What's the deal?" <laughs> he said, "He said, uh, yeah, it's probably near seven thousand, but no one was going to believe that that was a real deal." <laughs> really wow. Was. And wow. it, it it was unfinished. Unfinished meaning meant it needed. It needed appliances and new countertops and flooring and paint and such. So I think, and it needed needed some work on the land. I put sixty thousand into it to finish it up, and then sold it. And I didn't I didn't have a giant profit, but I didn't have a lot of time into it. And by the way, the bank loaned me the money on the whole deal. They loaned me eighty percent, not just on their house, but on the land too. Was this a traditional bank, or was was this? A it was. Portfolio? It was a traditional regional bank that owned owned the foreclosure, and I had been doing other business with them, so they they it was not it was not a conventional loan. It was one they kept in house, and then I just paid it off. Ooh, are you saying nice. are you saying the same bank that sold it as the one that carried the financing on it? They did. Yes. Wow, that's nice. I've I've heard of that happening. Never had it happen for me. I, and I, th- I, th- I think I had an advantage since I already had done a couple of deals with them. Like um, the, the church I used to go to did a building project, and I got I, f- I got the construction finance through them, and I kind of led that head that headed that up. So okay. it was I had the relationship. Nice, nice. That's awesome. So so it sounds like you've got about three four. Uh, what is it? Three forty into it plus holding costs and so on and so forth. What what'd you end up uh, turning that for? Um, I, I sold it at three ninety five, so okay. so that was you know my, my net net was is about forty thousand on it. Okay, okay, yeah. Res, a respectable uh, return. Yeah, I yeah. take it. I take it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, that's that's cool. That's a that's a great story. Um, have you uh, <clears throat> have you done other flips? I know you said in the beginning you do the uh, single family, the office, the specs, but ha- have you done other flips? So, yeah, so it, so in 2008-2009 time frame is when I decided to not just play around with real estate but seriously get after real estate investing. The reason, the reason I made that decision 
primarily was just the downturn in the real estate market where I tend to be contrarian in my in my investing. So I thought, you know, I don't know if we're ever going to see a 20 or 30% discount again. It's very rarely happened in the past. And of course, you guys know how severe it got. It got as, as severe as the Great Depression in terms of housing values. Yeah. But property values after every single down cycle have gone up. So I thought, I've, I've got to get into this. Now's the time. And of course, it was the perfect storm with the banking hitting the wall at the same time that real estate and some other things hit the wall. So yeah. um, I, started, uh, I started doing my homework. Uh, I, I decided to read 10 books on real estate investing, except about halfway through, I discovered bigger pockets. And I decided to scrap <laughs> my goal of, of 10 books and just just devoured bigger pockets nice um that was that was in the beginning of end of eight oh eight beginning of nine and i started buying at hud auctions and i ended up buying about 20 houses in the hud auctions at over uh 2009 2010 and i kept most of them but i did rehab flip some of those um and actually actually i still have about half of those that that i that i bought back at, back in that time frame um Financing was really tough then, so it was a combination of my money, my partner's money, and uh, a couple of private money guys to to buy most of that. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so, so, so uh, those are those are those are bread and butter rentals. Those are um, properties that are today worth maybe sixty thousand and rent for nine fifty or so on average. Okay. okay. That's not bad at all. So, so HUD auctions. Uh, you know, I know we've covered it, but you know, do you want to give us a, qu- a quick thirty seconds on on what a HUD auction is, how it works? Sure. Yeah. So, so I did most of my work online, uh, identifying and researching the properties, and I would bid on prop when I was in the buying phase. I'd bid on properties every week, sometimes three or four a week, so that over a two year period, I bid on close to two hundred properties. To get 20, so my ratio of wins was only about one in 10. So, so I bid pretty conservatively, and of course, owner occupants get the first shot. So, what that meant is I bought mostly uninsurable homes, which meant they meant they needed a lot of work that they weren't ready to loan on. So that meant every single time I had a rehab project. So I, I got a lot of rehabbing under my belt from from two to three thousand cosmetic to seven to eight thousand to sometimes we'd put, have to put twenty thousand into a property and at that point we'd either rent it or sell it and wh- what kind of discount were you getting on these properties y- 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 you know ta- okay so so these properties sold new for say in 2001 for example for a hundred thousand I'd get a property like that for maybe 30 and have to put 10 into it so I'd be in for 40. And it, that would have a tax value of maybe maybe eighty five or so, so you could say you could say a fifty percent or sixty percent discount to what it was, but as far as real market value, probably more like a thirty to forty percent uh, discount over real market value. No, oh, that's a- great. That's great. Now, do you have any tips on that? Because I know, I, Brandon, we, we we talked about this a couple episodes ago, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did. Uh, what episode was that? Um. I don't- I don't remember when. Yeah, no, we've talked about it a couple times now. But but somebody, you know, one of the strategies was literally super super lowball uh, their offers, and and uh, and they expected a way way smaller ratio than than you're getting. Um, I, I'm curious, 
what you know what's kind of your bidding strategy on these on these HUD properties so so it and, and that evolved over time but it's a number that's going to work for me and I, and I wouldn't necessarily try to bid so low to win like win the lottery maybe like that other investor is doing or there was a guru back in the day on late night tv tom vu i think that was his main strategy is go out and offer 50% of asking on a whole lot of properties. I wasn't doing that. I was, I was looking at the value, trying to figure out what it's really worth, what it'll take to fix, what we can rent it for, and does it fit with our criteria. And back in that day, there was, I, there's still talk on bigger pockets about this, but the 2% rule, which of course, we're in a completely different market today than we were there. And these things vary a lot by geography. But I thought, well, if I can get... Um, 2% rent back for my total capitalized cost, that's pretty good. And sometimes I'd hit 3% or 3.5%. So my target was 3% unless it was a higher quality property, bigger acreage or a better location. And then I would bend that rule a little bit. Hey, John, can you go and, a little bit more detail on the 2% rule for those who you know might not be familiar with what that is? So, so the two percent rule, or or it, it's actually a, a rule of thumb that you'll read about on bigger pockets sometimes, is for the serious cash flow investor. Uh, it says don't pay more than fifty times for a one month's rent for a property. So that would be two percent of the purchase price, or the purchase plus fixed price, which is the capitalized price. And if you do that, you're almost certainly going to cash flow. However, However, in the top 25 cities in the U.S., um, it's really hard to do that in most of those cities. It's hard to do it on the East Coast. It's hard to do it on the West Coast. But it can be done through the Midwest. It can be done in more rural areas. It can be done in the, in the South and, and Mid-South. So I'm not preaching that rule necessarily. I'm just saying that was one of my criteria at that time. Today, in a different market, I'm willing to buy property that I'm only getting 1% back on per month, but I want that to be in a great area, a great school district with a really good chance of appreciation. Okay. So your strategy is kind of shifting a little bit and and I think that's important. Right. Uh, I, yeah, it, it is. It is. I'll say this, Brandon, that I, I was all about income because income was just so, it was so rational and I could defend it. Now I'm not quite as much into income. You know, I've got more income than I need. and I'm just putting it back into more properties. I'm thinking in terms of what does this look like 10, 20, and 30 years down the line and buying properties with that in mind. Of course, not the, not the spec flips, but other properties. Because once in a while, you'll hear about properties. Oh, I'll, Brandon, you, know, you and I have talked about real briefly uh, that some of my family came from uh, the Greeley area or Windsor in particular. Yeah. Uh, my, my grandfather yeah. bought a farm in 1930, or his or his father did. My great grandfather, seventy five hundred dollars, and that's worth several million today. Oh. So how does that happen? And and I want to back up and take a look at that macro trend over over 80 years. How can you get a thousand x appreciation? Not that I need to, but if I understand that, that'll affect how I invest in real estate for the future. Nice, nice. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's also interesting point about when you're starting out, I feel like, you know, for me, I'm the same way. Cash flow was always number one. And for you, that's when you're starting out and you don't have a lot of money and you want to quit your job. I do believe cash flow is is, you know, imperative to it. But as you get the cash flow, that becomes I think it's OK, like you said, to to change over time to maybe make it a little more appreciation focused. I mean, I would never tell somebody to go out and get negative cash flow severely just to try to 
you know, bet on the market. But if it becomes a big picture thing, I don't think it's terrible. Yeah, and, and just and just to to get a little finer on that point, it's it's not so much betting on appreciation or speculating on appreciation as buying high in high quality areas. We'll say class areas which has have historically appreciated more and faster and longer term than B areas or C areas. That's just a rule that is generally going to happen. And then the other macro trends, which I, I want to follow, is population growth and job growth. You know, I, I look hard at those things now as to where to buy my properties. Yeah. And like I told you before we, before we recorded today that someday I'd like to just move all my investing to Texas because, I mean, I haven't done all the research, but it just seems like there's a lot more job growth happening there than there is out here in Washington. Come on, guys. You guys know you want to move all your properties to Detroit. Come on. <laughs> you know it was coming. Yeah, I we knew did. it was coming. Yeah, you know, you, you got to do it. Well, but but that's, I mean, that's that's the reason I pick on Detroit more than anything else. I mean, it's all about trends, right? If people are not, if people are leaving and fleeing your your area, you know, it's it's an area you probably want to unload in. And, and that's what I had to do with, you know, those those tough properties that I had uh, talked about earlier, you know, it was the area was getting real bad. It was getting worse than it was, <laughs> and it wasn't great to start with. And people, you know, the renters, the even decent, half decent renters were 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 taken off. You know, well, what are your chances of having a cash flowing property? I don't care how cheap it is. You know, if you can't put somebody in there, it's it's uh, it's too expensive. Now, now, one point on that as well is that. An area can have a temporary decline and then come back. Sure. Like, like in Florida, I think in, in 2009, Florida had its first year in over 50 years where the population actually decreased. And I looked at that and I looked at the rest of the Sun Belt and I said, that has to be temporary. What's going on in Nevada and Arizona and Florida just has to be temporary. And it turns out that that's the case. And I suspect that might be the case with parts of the Midwest too. Sure. Uh, and hopefully it's true in Detroit that they turn it around. Well, yeah, I mean the key is to get, you know, to get some uh you know, stronger economy going in in these areas and if they, you know, if they can get politicians who can incentivize business to move it into into these hard-hit areas, uh, obviously jobs are going to come and people are going to move. So, sure. you know, it really kind of goes up to the top and and you know, we are relying and a lot of these cities are relying upon you know, having good quality politicians who who know how to attract business. Because if you can't do that, there's uh, there's not going to be people looking to rent. Sure. Yeah. Deep. Uh, you know, that's that's, that's <laughs> who I am, man. I'm a, I'm a deep dude. You're a deep All right. Thinker. That's right. All right. So so let's you know l- let's cover some of these things in a little more detail. Some some of the stuff. Uh, you know, it sounds like you've bounced around a lot. You know, from from uh, these SFRs, uh, single families, the office, the spec stuff. You know, you've bought through auctions. Uh, it sounds like you've you've purchased um, REOs on MLS and things like that. Yep. Um, what I want to kind of focus on is marketing for a little bit here. Sure. Um, how are you finding? You know, obviously the auction ones you're finding on the auction sites, right? Yeah. So, so where marketing comes in is now I'm buying most of my properties through my own marketing and that not through auctions or MLS anymore. I occasionally, occasionally an MLS deal will come along, but I, I, I kept reading and hearing about these deals that were 
above and beyond anything I ever see on MLS. I'm wondering how, how in the world do these people get them? And marketing is sometimes the answer. Sometimes the answer is just the right relationships or being extremely knowledgeable and well-connected in, in a certain area. But I decided to try marketing to buy properties myself, just, just starting with yellow letter campaigns a couple of years ago. And I, I didn't get a lot of traction in the first six months, but since then I've had a lot of traction. And it's not so, ma- it's not so much that I'm buying a lot of properties, but it's that I'm getting high quality properties at a deep, deep discount that makes the marketing pay for itself over and over and over again. Uh, for example, on on our spec builds, and the and these are these are not just you know little houses. I mean, they're they're pretty high end. But on average, uh, we're making over a hundred thousand dollars per build. So wow. the key there is, what do we buy the pro- What do we buy the lot for? What do we buy the property for in the first place? I'm not the world's greatest build builder. In fact, I'm not not that experienced yet. But I can beat a lot of the great builders because I can buy better than them because I'm paying less for the property than they're paying for. Yeah. So that's, I, I know we've talked in a number of your podcasts, you've got in, gotten into marketing a fair amount and also uh, direct mail campaigns. Um, specifically, I've worked with Jerry Puckett and in, uh, Brandon, you know what podcast number Jerry was? Uh, was it 2021? 20, what was it? 21, I think. Okay. So, so Jerry says, what Jerry says is market like a wholesaler. And, and what, he, what he means by that is all investors who are buying should market like, like wholesalers. So instead of buying at 10 or 20% off market value, you can consistently buy at 60% off market value because that's what wholesalers have to do. Yeah. They have to buy at 60% so they can flip that contract for, for 70% off and, and keep the, the, the difference. Right. Uh, so... I've I've mailed out at this point tens of thousands of letters, which might sound like a big number, but it's really not a big number. Maybe spent twenty five thousand on yellow letters, but I'm looking at profit or uh, margins from those yellow letters, and I've I've got deals that I've that are closed, deals that are under contract, and deals that we're still going to build well over a million dollars just from twenty five. That's profit just from 25K in marketing. So I'm a huge proponent in investors doing their own marketing to buy their own deals, not necess- not to wholesale them. No, that's, that, great. that's great, John. And, and one thing I want to touch on a little more there, just to make sure people understood what you said there, like you said, Jerry says market like a wholesaler. And that's why I think, you know, sometimes we interview wholesalers here on the podcast. And I think people that aren't wholesalers t- sometimes may tend to ignore those episodes or, you know, they're, they don't think it applies to them. But I think this is exactly why it applies to them is because if if only other you know landlords or flippers, if only people approach their business the way that wholesalers do, like you said, it's all about how low you can get the initial buy. It's all about the buy. So I think that's a huge, huge, huge point that people need to remember is if you can market like a wholesaler, then you don't need to use a wholesaler to buy properties because you can get them for the wholesale price. And that's that's sure. key. So um, yeah. that's cool. Hey, can I jump in on that? Because you know, I've got a I've got a friend who's a, he's one of those uh, hedge fund guys, and he and I have talked a lot about wholesalers, and you know he's fascinated by the whole premise of of, of these these folks and what they do, and 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 uh, you know because what they do is they go and they buy MLS and they buy REOs and they buy auctions and they think they're getting all the best price deals out there, and 
you know, maybe I should have shut my mouth. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, but, you know, but we talked about it and he's like, wow, that's crazy. You know, I can't believe that people are, you know, doing all this stuff and, and there's a whole segment that we're not even, you know, touching. Um, but the, the thing is, they don't even care to do it. You know, it's too much work for them to do that. You know, yeah. they just want to, they don't want to spend the time and energy to do that. They want to just buy it as fa- fast as possible. But uh, it's it's fascinating that, you know, doing that really does give you an advantage over everybody. And especially for those people who are freaking out by all the hype that's out there from some of these gurus saying the world is coming to a close for real estate investors. Yeah, just keep marketing. You know, keep doing your thing. The world, world ain't going to end. Trust me. Sure, sure. And the deal flow will always be there no matter what's going on in the economy. I mean, yeah. People will always be buying and selling property. Always. Yeah, yeah. So, John, you, you had mentioned that the yellows didn't work at first. And, and so what, what, what did you change or was it just that it took time to kick in? That's it. You just, you just have to do the repetition. And once I had a prospect, and I had a number of prospects going, but it, sometimes it takes them a few months to actually get to the place where they're really ready to do their deal, ready to move. They have their next place lined up that they're going to move, move to. So it was just giving it enough time and then tweaking the message and also tweaking my approach as I went along. Early on, I was afraid to make offers because I wasn't just going to flip the deal. I had to close on the deals. That was, that, that was my plan. But I got more and more comfortable with the neighborhoods I was working in. And I was working in neighborhoods virtually. That is, I was there with Google Street View. I was there with the uh, the tax appraisal site. I was looking at the Zillows and I was looking at MLS, the comps. And so, so I got to the point where I really could make a decision about an offer number within 15 minutes or so. And once I could do that, I could engage the potential seller pretty quickly with a lot of confidence or, or at least give give them a range um, and also, just just buying a couple gave us confidence to to keep going and and do more. Yeah. And I've always had in my back pocket. Well, if I'm not going to close on it, if I if I don't need to close on it, I know enough people now where they'll close on this deal. Yeah. So so that made me not afraid to put put properties under contract. Are, but I, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I've been a, a tr- you know I, I've been attracting a, enough capital, you know, getting more and more and more bankable that I'm able to buy at a at a higher rate, a higher level than before. So uh, my marketing's working better, but we're so far we're able to close on everything we put under contract. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so, so and and. Darn it, I was going to go somewhere, but you said something that just grabbed me. You're becoming more bankable. You're becoming more attractive. Sure. Um, and, and I think we talk about, yeah, look at you. <laughs> yeah, I, is, that, that, is that just a matter of having a, having a history of success? Uh, that's part of it. But, but honestly, a bigger part of it is banking is loosening up. I mean, it, just in the last five years, five years ago, you could do nothing. And now, especially the last couple of years, banks, banks are loosening up. But also, my my balance sheet is growing. My income is growing. You know, send it to the bank, and they're they're good. Or get in partnerships with others where they're looking at you in an aggregate. And if you've got three or four strong partners in a deal, the banks just love that. And if it's not a bank, it's an equity deal with another investor, or it's a debt deal with a private money person. And we're doing all of those. Gotcha. But bank bank is probably best just because that's cheap money and they'll lend a lot. Yeah. I mean we we just we just got approved for a $405,000 loan a, a couple of weeks ago and one of the next ones I'm looking at is a, a 600 and that's construction loan so we 
pay it off in a year. So there was no way I was even close to that 18 months ago. So it's both yeah. banks plus success. Gotcha. No, that's awesome. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm curious, have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A. Biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com slash BiggerPockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to R-E-L-A-Y-F-I.com slash BiggerPockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Calling all property owners and operators. Are you managing a multifamily property and looking to elevate your residents' living experience? Introducing Quantum Fiber Internet, your go-to choice for speedy internet your residents will love. The process is as seamless as Quantum Fiber service. Starting at just $50 a month, your residents can enjoy fast, reliable internet that will make them love where they live even more. Connect with your local fiber representative today. Learn more at q.com slash go big. I wonder how they got that domain. That's q.com slash go big. Limited availability. Service and rate in select locations only. Taxes and fees apply. 360 Wi-Fi and other equipment lease charges, taxes, and fees are excluded from price for life offer and may be increased. So let's circle really quickly back to, to marketing. Um, so 
you're you're currently marketing primarily for for land, correct? For these spec builds. Yeah, although most of the time there is a home on the land. It's just uh, an old small frame home that we scrape off. That's um, what I was I was going to wondering that same thing. That's what Tucker does um, that he talked about. So cool. Now now there's a I'm I'm working a lot in Austin, and and the exception there is if if you've got a tr- trees in place. You can't build new close to those trees, especially if they're big trees. And the city has designated what they call heritage trees. And, and the, these, these are really big deal. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But a big tree in the wrong place, believe it or not, can make a lot worth $200,000 less because mm-hmm. you can't build on that lot or build anywhere close to that tree. So sometimes we'll buy a lot with a bad old house on it, but we'll keep that bad old house because we've got to protect the trees and then we're grandfathered, uh, building, you know, completely rebuilding that house and adding a second story onto it. Ah, so you're not going to scrape it. You're just going to take the old house and keep the frame, right? And you're good to go. Very smart. And and that that's something that's specific to Austin. Presumably, there's other uh, areas yeah. that have similar there, roles. I, I would say any larger progressive city is doing that, and I would call Austin the only. Um, really progressive city in texas you know compared by like california standards oh yeah austin you might as well be in california yeah yeah <laughs> nice nice and um so i you know i just realized something you you're working a job as well right you've got a company outside of your real estate don't you i, I do but i spend very little time on it because that's a mature company now with a mature staff and i get it i get involved for troubleshooting and such but I probably only spend 10 to 15% of my time in, in that company at this point, which is really what we want out of a real estate business is right to be active initially, get it mature so that it's passive and it can still grow. Well, that's, that's actually the case with my IT services company, which, which, you know, was a little garage startup with no money, but now it's, now it throws off a good W2 income to myself and my partner, which helps us borrow as well. Gotcha. So you're living the dream across uh, both fronts. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm not quite living the four-hour workweek dream. <laughs> <laughs> but surely that's going to be your favorite book as we get into uh, that question, isn't it? If I want to torment you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I, you know, I want to, I want to move on to, uh, to, to spec building because you, you mentioned uh, that. Uh, you know, on some of these specs, you can do over 100k per per build uh, in profit, and that's that's awesome. That's huge. Uh, but I, I I think a lot of people are intimidated by the premise of of building a house from from the ground up. So you know, let's first uh, talk about why you got into spec building, um, and and then I'd like if if you didn't mind uh, if you could walk us through the process of of a spec build. Okay. First, I'll say if you're intimidated, I was intimidated too. I thought, well, there's a there's a thousand different things you have to know to build a house. I'm going to miss something and I'm going to mess up big time. However, I'm not building it myself. I'm I'm working with a contractor who knows what they're doing. I'm working with an architect who knows what they're doing. I get consulting where I need it, especially early on, or work with an experienced uh, investor the first time or two around. So. That's that's how I started. My first time out, I, I went I went with a guy and I put in half the money and he had done seven in this neighborhood and he was get, I could tell he was getting better at it 
and I just watched really closely everything he did. And he still, he still made mistakes. And what I realized, I suspected this to start, but I realized that a new build is just like a rehab, but with more steps, yeah. especially before you start steps. And you've got to learn those pre-development steps before you break ground. But after that, I mean, I've heard Jay Scott say this too. It's the building of the house is pretty easy for an experienced rehabber because you've done almost everything before. It's just adding just a few new elements to the actual building of it. Gotcha. 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 All right. So, so let's talk about this pre-steps and, and the post-steps. Let's you know, let's start at at zero. I mean, all right. I I found a lot. Cool. I'm I you know I'm going to tear this house down and and uh, build a spec on it. So obviously, presu- presumably, you're going to have to get some permits to knock it down and clean up. Uh, you've done that. You've got the land is is pretty much a clean slate at this point. Now what? Okay, uh, I'll start. I'll start there. But but I will say that you you've brushed through probably the most important part, and that's uh, sele- selecting the lot and making sure you can build on it. Um, but but we 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 can we can get back to well, that. Well, let's let's cover that. Let's, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't want to brush through okay. that. So so the question is, whenever I'm evaluating a lot, evaluating a lot is what can get built on this lot. And generally speaking, the developer says, I want the highest density that I can get in here. Um, so that might mean multifamily. Not that I do multifamily, but if I'm going to build a single family on a, on a lot that you can build eight on, that's not the highest and best use. So maybe I should flip that lot to somebody else who's going to build more on it. So for us, the answer to the question is usually, because we're buying small lots, single family home or a duplex or a condo regime with with two homes on it on on one lot. So it was one home before, but we're going back with two homes, and that's what I'm looking for. I want a lot that's an SFR lot, but it's zoned so that I can build two homes on it. So that's a certain size, and there's uh, certain other criteria, and you have to learn the specific criteria of the city that you're going to work in. And I would recommend going down and talking to planning and zoning in that city to start understanding what you can and can't build. They, they want you to bring us bring them a specific lot or specific questions. That's great if you can. If if you if you can't, they'll still answer some of your questions. Okay. Um, so what what can I build? I, I want to build the most square footage and the highest density that they'll allow me. And usually they're gonna be smart about their growth and they're not gonna let us do something stupid that hurts hurts the neighborhood. So I will if if it looks like it's green lighted to build a duplex, I'll hire an architect and let the architect do a lot of the dealings with the city, and really get go all the way from designing the home to getting the permit. And that typically, for what we're doing, takes some time because we're changing the use of the land. So the shortest it's ever taken us is three months, and the longest it's ever taken us is eleven months. Although if you're just building a single family home, you can sometimes get permits in the city I work in, in two weeks. And I've heard of even faster in, in some other cities. Hey, John, what, is it, what does it cost to hire an architect to design and, and you know, take care of permits and all that stuff? Um, we're, paying, we're paying now $2 or $2.5 a square foot, which is a little on the high side just for design, but for them to take the ball and you know, get over the, get over the end, end of the end zone, it's worth it to us. And by that, I mean permit. The, the permit, building permit is the first big 
hurdle you have to get over with the city. And the second way is when you get to the end of the build, it's the certificate of occupancy. I mean, those are those are the two things that the start of the build and and the finish of the build. And inside of that, it's if you're working with a good general contractor, they're managing pretty much all of that with not that many choices from you along the way if the architect's given a good plan. But in some cases, you might be more hands-on. You might be the GC yourself. And if, if you're the GC yourself, that's, that's probably a little too much to get into on this podcast other than to say that you are, you are managing every piece of that construction and every sub, and it's all got to work together to get the right product and the right the CEO at the end of the time. Gotcha. So, yeah. so you're managing for, you're managing for um, satisfy the city, you're managing for cost, you're managing for quality, and you're managing for time. So you have to bring those four elements together. And if you, if you can, if, if you can come in on time, on budget, good quality, and get your, get your city requirements done, you're in good shape. And, and all the, every, every experienced builder knows that. But I think here's the thing that every experienced builder doesn't know. And this is, this is kind of moving back to the beginning. Buy the lot right, and that makes all the difference in the world. I, th- I see a lot of good builders out there who are just uh, maybe maybe they're not overpaying for the lot, but they're not buying in a neighborhood that's going to support spec construction to the degree that they're going to make mo- enough money. So I would say if there are two thousand square foot homes in that neighborhood, new ones selling for two hundred thousand dollars, that's not going to work very well. However, if in that if if in a different neighborhood, two thousand square foot homes are selling for four hundred thousand. a square foot, you've really got some potential there. And if you can buy your lots in that neighborhood for 50 to a hundred thousand, you're going to have, you're going to have potentially have six figure margin on those deals. So it's going to have to be higher end neighborhoods. And where I work is infill neighborhoods. That is close to downtown where there are teardowns in newly developed areas. It's a lot harder. It's it's a lot more competitive. So I like to find the one-off lot, which back to marketing in yellow letters is a good fit for that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, that, wow, that's, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And, and, uh, it seems like if, if you bring on the right architect and GC, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's simplifying it, but it kind of builds itself. Um, the, where, where do you come into play? You know, how does, how does, as a, as a flipper, you're going to go in, you're going to, you know, take pictures, look at the property, see what needs to be fixed. But when you're building this up front, how much of that is decided by the architect? How much of the detail is decided by you? Do they basically say, hey, John, you know, this is kind of generally what we've got. Now we want you to kind of pick the finishes or, or is that kind of in a big open conversation up front? Well, I've got a team. And I, I, I trust my team members in the areas of their strength. You know, I'm, I'm outsourcing a lot of my marketing. Um, I, don't t- I don't take a lot of those calls in the first place. But in terms of identifying and negotiating the lot I'm going to buy, I'm very involved in that. And I'm very involved in the financing and finding the financing. So I have a business partner who lives in Austin. And he does a lot of stuff on the ground for me. He's not the actual GC. We also have a, a dedicated GC under contract to, to just to us, who I worked with in Dallas before I worked with in Austin. And add to that the architect, and that's the team. So it's, it's my main business partner. It's the builder. It's the architect. It's my marketing team. And outside of that, there's other players, but 
those are the those are the main ones. And I don't personally, I have opinions about design, but I don't get too too far into that because that's what the architect's good at. And our particular architect lives in Austin, knows the neighborhoods really well, knows what's selling well. Her her husband is an agent in Austin, so they're good at that. So you defer most of that. I mean, you you yeah. literally say, here's the here's a plot of land, you know, you run with this thing. I trust you to to basically come up with every all the specs and design and and you know it's it's hands off for you in, in terms of that it is it is now i have built i have gc'd my own homes before so i can get involved if i need to but but i, I don't need to since i've got the better help and and, I, and I'm, I'm also a big believer of the concept of highest and best use of not just real estate but each person's talents and time so I try to be disciplined not to get into stuff I'm not that great at and keep my team in their strengths and out of their weaknesses. Gotcha. Gotcha. And how long does it take to build a spec? Uh, you, you had talked about timelines. Uh, permits could be potentially three to 11 months. How about the build time? Yeah. So if for us, if things go well, it's four months. If things go poorly, it's, it's five and a half months. The actual build time. Again, there, there's there's more knowns in that, and and more unknowns w- with the city. So, I, I, we we generally look at projects as about one year start to finish. And you that said, is from the time we buy the lot till we sell it. Gotcha. And you said earlier that you know you're, these houses are a little bit higher end. Uh, I'm wondering what you can kind of tell us about, like what's the typical you know size look like and the quality when you're all finished. I mean, how high end are you talking about? Okay, so so I'll I'll give you a link to some pictures. I don't I don't have that right now, but we'll have that in the notes. Okay. Um, and where can we find the show notes, guys? <laughs> Biggerpockets.com slash show forty forty six. There you go. Woo. So so it, so it's a custom design. It's it's a unique one 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 of a kind design. Um, where we're working modern and contemporary architecture is is most desirable. So it'll be kind of a funky design, and It'll have it'll have um, just a number of modern features, uh, like floor materials might be stained concrete or they might be wood, but it's it's you know fair, fairly high end wood. And then you know we might go, you know we think of granite sta- stainless in in the kitchens. We might go with quartz or something else on the countertops. Lots of light, lots lots of windows, and fairly green. And you you know we want a fairly efficient house, but we're not going towards. Um, net zero energy, but, you know, yeah. uh, at, at least addressing that. Yep. Um, so that our build costs have varied from $90 a square foot to $130 a square foot. And I, I don't, you know, I don't want to be paying $130. That's a, that's a little bit too high, but some locations can justify that. And where where I work and I have a great location, we'll, we'll spend more on construction and we might get an exit price approaching $300 a square foot. So maybe it's Maybe it's six hundred thousand on a two thousand foot house. Oh, and how long do these houses take to sell? So far, <laughs> they're selling immediately. That's good. <laughs> and in in some cases, we've got contracts even before we put them on the market. In some cases, we have multiple offers the first weekend, and we want to price them so that happens. If I don't have if I don't have an offer in two weeks I priced it too high or, uh, or I'm, and I'm cutting the price. Yeah. How, I want to move them quick. How are you, how are you marketing them for, for sale? So obviously price is going to be essential, but you know, what are you, what are you doing beyond that? Yeah. You know, 
far and away is just listing on MLS. Yes, we want great photography, and we, you know we, we we will do some great photography. We have not been staging. Some some of my partners have staged, uh, but they go so quick that we we haven't felt like a real need to do that. So that's pretty much it. Get get some good pictures. Get it up on MLS, and you get a lot of traffic because we're building in such a hot area. That's a great idea. That's yeah. fantastic. Oh, that's great. Well, listen. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something that I know I'm personally uh, enthralled with and would love to get into at, at some point in time. And and I'm sure lots of other p- people um, would uh, would also be interested. And in, and so thank you so much for for digging into uh, the spec stuff. Uh, you know, there is a thread on the site that you had mentioned, Jay Scott earlier. Uh, that Jay had put has put together. It's, uh, I started it, I believe, about uh, the spec build that he's been going through. And I don't know what's it four or five hundred posts now, Brandon. Yeah, something like that. It's it's huge. It's a monster post. It's literally like every single thing that he's done. He's kind of put notes on every step along the way. And uh, if you're interested, we'll we'll, we'll uh, for those people listening, we'll put a link to uh, that thread in the uh, in the show notes as well. Yeah, I've, I've, Josh, I've read every every post in that thread, and it is gold. I mean, there is so much that, that you know he tells us, but other builders have come in and given their experience in there. I mean, that is probably better than any bo- that thread any better than any book I've seen on the nuts and bolts of how to build in 2013. That's, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah, and that, there that you is go. the benefit of a forum. It's like a 3D book that's. Uh, constantly changing with the modern like the way you do things so yeah if people aren't active on a forum like ours i think it's a, a mistake because there's some really good value there so anyway um why don't we move on john a little bit away from the spec building talk about a couple things before we close this up and one of those is i know that you meet with other bigger pockets people often like a, you know bp meetup or whatever you want to call it i guess can you kind of talk about the benefits of doing that and why you why you get together with other investors yeah, so pretty early on, I, I you know, I, I started seeing posts from the same people who knew what they were talking about. So I started reaching out to them, especially if they were knowledgeable in an area I was interested in. And I've learned a lot. And that would that would be in the forums or in private messaging or pick up the phone or email. And in some cases, you know, um, if they're local, get with them. And of course I've I've actually seen bigger pockets members not just not locally, but in other parts of the country too. So learning from others is probably uh, the best way I learn. Having, a, having an hour conversation with somebody who knows what they're doing, which is one way, one reason the podcasts have been so great. I've been learning from so many of your guests and you guys. Uh, but I've got, some, I've got some, a group of mentors. I wouldn't say that any single one is is a mentor, but I'll I'll, ju- I'll just throw out a, a, maybe a couple of names. Um, Rich Weiss, who's been very active in the past, not quite so active now, has done a ton of stuff in real estate over the last forty years and written a book. And you know he's spent time with me, and uh, I've learned a lot of stuff from him. And as as far as uh, meetups go, yeah, I've, I've done a few of you know called up or set up a few of these over the last few years in Dallas, and I always meet somebody new. Or meet the same folks again, where I develop a relationship with, and pretty soon we're doing some kind of business with them. And I and I've done business with, uh, I'd say, a lot of business with several different people on Bigger Pockets. So it's not just meeting and learning from them, but uh, lucrative relationships with them. And that That's is cool. 
partnering on deals, uh, borrowing money, selling properties to members, working with them on marketing, um, just strategizing on new development deals. All, all, all has come out of the bigger pocket relationships. That's awesome. And that, that's just, you know, a testament to why people need to be networking. I mean, networking, you know, whether it's on bigger pockets forum or, you know, wherever it is, networking is just key. So, uh, and I love to hear that story. So, um, and, and that's, that's another thing uh, we, you know, we mentioned that last week in the last podcast about the new local search on bigger pockets and that you can go on there and sort by zip code or how far they are, five, 10, 20, 50 miles or whatever. And you can see where people actually on bigger pockets are living near you. I mean, you're not seeing their house or anything, but you know, that those kind of tools I think are invaluable for reaching out to local investors and different people to do deals with. So uh, for those of you who want to check that out, just go to biggerpockets.com slash meat, M-E-E-T, not like eating beef for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, so why don't, we, uh, why don't we move on to the last question before my favorite section. But I just want to know what your future plans are. I mean, now you've done so much stuff, John. Where, where do you see yourself going in the future, just continuing what you're doing? Um, it, it, it is an evolution. And I, I, you know, I do believe in trade up and build on what you've done in the past. So I do have changes planned. I, I'm planning to sell some or most of my my single family rentals in the near future, and move that money really to two places. First, into into more spec builds and more development, and and longer term. I want to get into bigger commercial properties, and this isn't something I want to do at the moment, but down the line that are easy to manage or management free. Uh, so, and and those would be properties that I plan to hold for the rest of my life and and um, leave to my heirs. So, okay. more more spec building and long term commercial properties that take less hands on management. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Are are you know are are those properties currently for sale, or or is that just something you're planning on doing? Yeah, I want to. I, I want to sell most of my SFRs in the next couple of quarters. So, oh, know, cool. Any time between now and next summer. Do you great. have those like up on your website or something? Um, I've got. Uh, you can check my profile. I've got info on maybe on on the profile. Oh, cool. Pockets. Right, right on. And we'll right link, on. we'll link to that obviously at the bottom of the show notes to your profile. Yeah. So, cool. Well, Thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, hey, we're 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 running out of time and want to hit the fire round. But before we do, there's a couple of things uh, you had mentioned. A couple of things, and there's some stuff I just wanted to um, housekeep with. Um, you just talked about management-free commercial properties, and and commercial was something I really, really wanted to get into. And unfortunately, we're we're you know definitely running a little bit long. But maybe we could just briefly touch upon this stuff. Um, what you know? How does one Get a management-free property. What is a management-free property? So, so there's actually no such thing as a management-free property, but it's who's doing the management. So, let's look at an apartment complex. If you've got an apartment complex with more than 100 doors, you can have quality on-site management there, where pretty much they're dealing 100% with tenant and make-ready issues. Uh, and you're, you know, maybe you do some some of the financial and oversee the property management. Or if it's a if it's a single tenant, a commercial property like it's retail or an office or something like that, a restaurant, then you get into the double net and the triple net properties where the tenant is responsible for managing the property and managing themselves, and that can be extremely hands off. 
where triple net means they are responsible for not only maintaining the building, but all expenses related to the building, including the property tax. And that can be, that can be highly management free. Those, those to, are the triple nets, right? The triple nets. You have to be very careful about how you buy them. Uh, but you can get you know a, a great broker or consultant to help you help you buy those. Yeah, we're um, gonna have a we're gonna have a show in the in the coming uh, weeks. I'm, I don't know the exact uh, date, but we we definitely have a triple net um, episode planned. Uh, so for folks listening, you know, just kind of stay tuned, and we'll, we'll we'll dig into that a little bit. That's that's about as close to management free as as you can get, unless it's just like a land lease where. That that that's even a step beyond, but pretty unusual. Okay, and so you're you're doing office uh, properties as well, correct? I've I've got one office building, and the reason I have this office building is my IT services company had rented for quite a few years, and we paid we paid rent to the same landlord for ten years, and I really really wanted to stop doing that and start paying myself. So I bought an office building. Uh, for our company, and we have we have plenty of space to spare. And the beauty there is, if you have a business and you can do that, you can be considered an owner occupant in the commercial lending world. So my financing on this building is is awesome. It's it's fixed rate at two point nine nine percent. Wow! And you you hardly ever hear that in commercial. And the reason you can do that is because it is owner occupied, meaning my business is is in there. Ah, that's great! Wow, that's really great. Is so what's what's the difference? I mean, you know, I want to say bigger pockets we want to go and open up a new headquarters somewhere and 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 buy a commercial uh, office property what you know what's any different than buying a multifamily is it pretty much the same thing uh dealing with tenants is way way different i mean you you know you'll have just yourself or maybe one or two other uh, just a few other tenants so and it's pretty much a nine to five thing you don't get the calls like last night i got the calls on electricity out at 10 p.m that's just it's not going to happen in an office situation, um, so that that's that's one difference. And to be considered an owner occupant, your business would just have to occupy fifty one percent or more of the building. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, but otherwise, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to have um, other issues, you know, business leases and things like that 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 are probably a little bit different than than a traditional residential. Right. There's going to be, because of that, you might get into some more legal and consulting fees sure, uh, because sure. those, those leases can get thick. Yep, for sure. Well, that's fan, uh, fascinating. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's a good option for, for a lot of folks. You know, when, when do you think is a good time for an investor? I mean, do, do you think as somebody who's done, you've done a lot. I mean, you've done everything in the residential side, it sounds like almost, um, and, and now you're in commercial you know what's what's a good time for somebody to potentially transition from residential to commercial, or, or you know, do you think that a new investor could start in commercial? Uh, I would say a, a new investor probably should only look at starting in commercial if they have a fair amount of capital to work with. So I I, I don't recommend starting there. I, I do know there's small commercial properties that cost no more than houses. But they're going to be one-off type properties and maybe problematic to keep good tenants in. So I, I'd I'd say there's there's a transition time that comes, and I don't know exactly where it's going to be. But I but I'd say for me, it's when when my income from all the other rental properties was covering more than my living expenses. That meant I could raise my head and start looking at some more sophisticated type things. Yeah. Gotcha. That's great. Fantastic. Cool. 
Well, you know, we, we, we kind of glazed over it, but uh, I, I'm, I'm sure we're going to cover more uh, commercial in, in later episodes. Uh, so for folks listening, just stay tuned. Uh, with that said, this is show 46 of the Bigger Pockets podcast. You can check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 46. And ladies and gentlemen, it's time. It's time for the fire round. Nice, nice. Well, I'm feeling warm. <laughs> Time for the fire round. <laughs> wow, yeah. that's impressive. Go ahead, Brandon. All right, fire round. These are all questions that come from the Bigger Pockets forums. These are real life questions that real life investors are asking. So, John, number one, what do you believe is the best way to find a mentor? I think the best way to find a mentor is to first figure out what you are most interested in and then find somebody who is an expert at that, very experienced at that, and then approach them with something to offer, not just asking for them. So, so at least offer to buy them lunch if, if they're local. Um, and also don't scare them away by saying, hey, I want you to be my mentor. That's kind of sounds like, hey, I want to get married. I know we just met. That's not. <laughs> well, so That's really that? good advice. Yeah, but but how do you do it? I mean, okay, John Klaus, I want you to be my mentor. Great. So I've decided that. I say, John, you know, I'm an upcoming investor in in your in your area. I would love to take you out for lunch. I'll, let's go get some steaks. We go, we get steaks. You know, talk about what you're doing. You you know, I, I'm all giddy about how good you are and how cool you are. But like, how how do you take that next step and 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 actually transition to say? I mean, do you just say, hey, listen, I want you to be my mentor or, or, or what? Yeah, it's got to be a fit for both sides. So, so, it's, so it's okay to ask, uh, but know that that person might not be able to make a, a big time commitment. Uh, but if, if, you, if it looks like you're hitting it off and you have a, you have a good rapport going, say, would it be okay if I occasionally contacted you with questions? I mean, that, that, that's kind of like, oh, okay, we're going to date, not just get married. And maybe later on it turns into something. Maybe later on we're going to do a deal together. But walk before you run in that relationship. That's awesome feedback. That's awesome feedback. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because, I, you know, it's funny. I, I get people – in the web world who are like, Oh Josh, you know, I want you to, you know, advise me and all this stuff. And I'm like, Whoa, slow it down, buddy. You know, like shoot me, shoot me an email, like hit me up with whatever questions. I don't have a ton of time to hop on hour long phone call with you, but you know, shoot me an occasional email. And you know, if we, if we're getting along, then, then we can transition. So that's fabulous, fabulous advice. I know we get this question constantly many times a day, on the site. And, and so hopefully there's a lot of newbies listening and, and, uh, heeding, uh, your, your feedback. And, and my mentor, my mentor with a capital M was bigger pockets, you know, an army of mentors, all with expertise in different areas. I think you should look at it and treat it that way. And you'll gain a whole lot more. That's what we like to tell people. All right. So that, that first fire round question went a little bit long, a little <laughs> bit long. Um, all right, John. So, is it better to buy one house with all cash, or uh, use that cash as a down payment on a bigger property? Take like a hundred grand, buy a hundred thousand dollar house with that hundred grand, or uh, take that hundred grand, use it on a down payment on a half million dollar house. So, for me, the answer is use the leverage because real estate can give you so much more because you can leverage it in ways you can't leverage other investments. However. It's a two-edged sword. Risk comes with that. You need to have 
other exit options and understand what you're going to do if things go wrong when you do leverage. Gotcha. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Next question. You're falling asleep there, Brandon. I mean, what's... <laughs> I forget. I, I'm, I'm muted. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I have my mute button anyway. Next question. What software do you use to keep track of your books? Um, I don't, I don't keep track of my own books. I have an accountant, a CPA who does it and he's a QuickBooks guy. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, in your marketing, do you use uh, Google AdWords? Why or why not? I do not use Google AdWords. Um, I, d- I do a little web. I do have a website, and I'm doing mostly organic search. And the reason is my direct mail works so well that I don't really spend a time on other marketing. Perfect. Perfect, perfect. Where do you get your direct mail leads list from? I, I buy them from my marketing company. Uh, who uses various sources. Again, I we mentioned Jerry Puckett. I'm using I'm using Jerry. Okay. He sources the lists for me. Okay, cool. Right on, right on. All right, last question is uh what does it cost to tear down a house? We had mentioned that earlier, but uh you know, it's a perfect fire round question. Yeah, so so the interesting thing about that is filling those dumpsters and hauling off those dumpsters is actually more expensive than tearing them down. We we did a tear down. I think we had 840 yarders. At about five hundred per, so call it call it seven eight thousand to clean up that lot. Usually, okay, right on, cool, cool. Well, let's uh, let's move on to to the the last bit here of the uh, of the show. Our famous four, famous four. First question, I don't even have to ask. So, what's the next question, Brandon? Okay, <laughs> I'll ask the first question. First right. question, what's your favorite real estate book? Okay, is this a softball coming at me, or is this a hardball? I don't know. I don't know with you guys anymore. Uh, I'm gonna say I, I've read a lot of books, and I'm I'm gonna say one I don't. I've heard it mentioned, but I don't know if it's a favorite. How I turned a thousand dollars into five million in real estate in my spare time by William Nickerson is my favorite book in real estate. That is a good book. I saw actually a video you made on that on YouTube one time. Kind of ran across a video, so I'll try to link to that also. That kind of review you left there. So, okay. Yeah, good book. So, all right. What is your favorite business book, non real estate? Also, read a lot of those, and uh, I'm not going to say the e myth. So, (laughs) pretty easy. Um, There's a book I read a few years ago called The Richest Man Who Ever Lived, which uh, was a book about Solomon. And Solomon wrote uh, like four books in the Old Testament, and this is based primarily on one. Proverbs, and it applied a whole lot of proverbs to business and to finance and just to smart living. And I, I thought it was really, really practical and, and tied in well with my faith. Okay, cool. I haven't, gotcha. I haven't read that one, so I have not either. Cool. Check it out: the richest man who ever lived. Right on, cool. right on. All right, next question: uh, hobbies. What, uh, what do you do for fun, John? Okay, so I've got seven kids. They are wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Can we rewind that? I thought I, I, I think something's wrong with my ear. You said you said you have seven kids. Is that right, or was there like a glitch in the uh, matrix here? Uh, it was seven. Wow. They're they're ages one through twenty-one. We've got our oldest three are biological. Our next three are adopted, and we're working on ad- adopting that number seven, part of a sibling group. So. When you talk about hobbies, <laughs> you don't have time for hobbies. <laughs> I, I actually, before I came into work this morning, 
I, I went hunting, uh, bow hunting with my eight-year-old this morning. We didn't, we didn't say anything, but you know, I, I do some ranching since I have a ranch. We, we have animals, we have wildlife. So really, we really have an outdoors lifestyle here, especially in the fall and the spring where it's kind of reasonable weather in Texas. Gotcha. Wow. That's awesome. Well, I've, I've got three kids and, and I know how hard it is to balance three. I can't, I can't even, can't even fathom seven. Yep. Well, the older ones help with the younger ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I figured as much. Well, that's that's awesome, man. and and it's great that you're bringing bringing some some other kids into the family as well through adoption. I I, I think that's uh, that's really great. Yeah. All right. The final question of the famous four: What do you believe sets apart the investors who succeed in this world from those who fail and they give up and run away, crying? So, so I'm, I'm- <laughs> crying. <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated by the first part of the question, maybe not the last part, <laughs> but you know I've listened really hard to the other podcasts to what people are saying, and I, and I th- I think it's really important. I know we don't spend a whole lot of time on it, and, and what I'm going to say is kind of a kind of a version of what I've heard a lot of times before, and that's diligence, and I, and I'm going to define it as working smart or perseverance with focus. That is, you know where you're going. You're going to get there by working hard and working smart. You know, spend spend a bunch of time thinking about what you're doing, and then do it with uh, determination and endurance. You know, don't quit when it gets hard. That's great. That's good. That's good. I another, like it. another tweetable topic. That is a tweetable topic. You'll see that so, on my Twitter feed later. Yeah, yeah. Before we close up here, last question I have for you, John. Where can people find more about you at? Um. First place is my Bigger Pockets profile, um, and I've got a few websites. I think we could probably uh, link in the in the show notes. I won't, won't give them right now, but okay. profile is probably the best place. Okay, and we'll put them there, and we'll put the links in the show notes. So fabulous, cool. awesome, man. Well, John, thank you so so much. I I, I think uh, anyone listening is probably going to have to go and and listen again because there was <laughs> there was a ton of stuff in here and and. I know I was taking notes and Brandon was yelling at me as I was uh, throughout the show. So uh, nice, uh, nice work. Thanks, thanks for being here and and you know thanks again for being a part of Bigger Pockets. We we definitely appreciate you. I I know you you uh, provide a ton of really really insightful commentary to to folks and uh, that means a lot. Well, it's been awesome. You guys have a great Thanksgiving and thanks, Konica. <laughs> yeah, Konica, I love it. <laughs> Catch you next time. Thanks, John. All right, guys. That was show 46 with John Klaus. Uh, we want to thank John again for, for being here. Ton of, ton of really good information. Tons. And tons, tons. And hopefully uh, you guys uh, got it all down. And if not, go back and, and check it out again. Uh, also, like, like we said up front, uh, if you've got questions, definitely ask John. Uh, those questions in the show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 46. We uh, we really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, we we really do. And and again, hopefully, if you have not yet taken the time to join us in our community, um, you're going to meet people like John who who spend a, a fair amount of time giving back. You know, John John answers pretty much any question he can get his hand on. So uh, so jump in, join the site biggerpockets.com. And uh, and and hopefully we'll we'll get to hang out with you there. Otherwise, 
jump in. We'll catch you on Facebook. We'll catch you on Twitter, LinkedIn, all over the place. Check out our YouTube channel. There's lots of great stuff on there. And, uh, and uh, keep listening. Keep, uh, keep learning. Keep listening. Keep doing. And, and uh, uh, keep telling us about those success stories. We'll see you around. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh Dorkin, signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Come here. I just wanted to say thank you for listening to our show. You rock. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.